0: The El Conservador radio show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 a.m. The Answer. time for the El Conservador radio show with George Rodriguez George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals be a part of the show call 210-308-8867 and now El Conservador George Rodriguez Howdy,
1: howdy, howdy, welcome my friends George Rodriguez, El Conservador talking to you on this Saturday June 17th Welcome to the show, my friends. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We've got a a packed program for you, as usual. We've got four great guests and um, lots of information for you, my friends. Lots of things moving still uh, regarding the border. Lots of new things happening away from the border. You're going to want to hear about that as well. So uh, let me tell you real quick who our guests are uh and then uh, we can get to uh the first one um we've got Mr. Todd Bensman now he is a regular guest on us because he's uh he does so much good research well Todd Bensman from the Center for Immigration Studies he uh, uh has uh gone to visit a colonia let me tell you what a colonia is a colonia is a neighborhood literally that's what it means a neighborhood in this case it is an uncorp unincorporated community And this community is located in Liberty in Liberty County, Texas. It is. It happens to be a um, large, large housing development. Well, we can say housing. It's more uh, a a lot of it is trailer parks. But what it amounts to is that um, private lots, private property owners, have sold lots to uh, illegal aliens or to migrants. In some cases, they are legal. But uh, in most cases, they um, they are folks who have just arrived. They have purchased property. And uh, it is a huge development, a huge subdivision of uh, migrants, of uh, many of them illegal aliens, that has developed in this county. He's going to be telling you all about that, what he found, what he saw, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Our, our second guest is Mr. Brandon Judd, who is president. He is the national president of the Border Patrol Council, and uh, he's going to be giving us some insight into the new uh, Border Patrol chief that was just uh, appointed uh, by the um, uh, Biden administration. Uh, He's uh, got some good insights into the gentleman, and uh, you're going to definitely want to hear what he's got to say. Uh, Third, we've got uh, Mr. Chris Hayek. Chris is with the Immigration Reform Law Institute. And he's going to be talking to us about a lawsuit that the Immigration Reform Law Institute is involved in regarding voting, allowing uh, illegal aliens to vote in local elections. Non-citizens voting in local elections uh the case is uh that they that he's going to be talking to us is specifically the one in DC Washington DC recently passed a uh an ordinance or a uh uh a, a law allowing non-citizens to vote in the their uh, local elections it was challenged uh and it was uh, overturned it uh has been uh restate reinstated by a second by an appeals court well now uh it's probably going to be headed towards the um supreme court eventually uh that uh law or that ordinance along with others uh in other communities relating uh to non-citizens voting our final guest is Mr. john biner who is with a Breitbart reporter who's going to be talking to us about how Mallorcas has in the past protected criminal aliens, aliens that have committed um, real crimes, murder, uh, rape, et cetera, et cetera. So you're going to want to definitely hear that. Uh, Without further ado, my friends, let's go to our first guest, Mr. Todd Benzman. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. And we've got our very good friend, Mr. Todd Benzman, uh, from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd has just been visiting what uh, we call, of course, the second phase of the border crisis, a colony, a neighborhood, a colonia, as we would say in Spanish, Uh, where uh, illegal aliens uh, are congregating, are meeting, are living, have established living quarters. So uh, let's ask Todd. Todd, welcome to the show as usual. Tell us what you found and where you found it.
2: Well, uh, this is probably the largest colonia in the United States, in Liberty County, Texas, about 45 miles northeast of Houston, spilling over into San Jacinto County and in some of the areas around it, uh, where you have uh, a community of some 75,000, maybe as many as 100,000 uh, people living there, foreign nationals, uh, a great majority of them said to be illegal immigrants. Uh, who had crossed in the years before and are crossing right now. And it's a, uh, what I would regard as a no-go zone for ICE. The immigrants who uh, buy buy houses and property there, uh, tell me that they feel safe from ICE, that law enforcement's not gonna sweat them or bother them about working, and it's true. As far as I can tell, there's been, there's very, very little, if any, uh, ICE interest in this massive, uh, what I would call a target rich environment, you know, for, uh, an organization like ICE. Uh, and, um, it's expanding in a huge way. Uh, now I wrote about this. This is not brand new to me, and I don't think it's brand new to some people. Uh, I wrote about this in a full chapter dedicated to it, actually, in my book, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. It's my final chapter uh, because it is emblematic of the sort of internal disruption and internal impact of this mass migration border crisis The area is called Colony Ridge, and Colony Ridge is absolutely exploding with expansion plans and bulldozers and uh, clear cutting to make way for thousands and thousands of new land sales for homes to be built.
1: Now, uh, this is this is. uh, Let's make sure that people understand. A colonia is a subdivision a, de- a development But it's unincorporated That means uh, do they get any Water or sewer connections I mean how, what, What's uh, what's the story on that aspect of it
2: Yes I mean In the beginning years of this thing Back around 2013-14 When this thing really started to ramp up uh, There wasn't much you, you were sort of responsible You could buy the land But you know there wasn't really much sewage uh, or utilities, you had to kind of bring it in uh, now the uh, development company brings, runs the lines up to the property but then once you buy the property you still have to hook it up yourself gotcha uh, get the stuff dug, it's all a big do it yourself thing, you put up whatever kind of structure you want you could put up a big beautiful brick house or you could put up a tarp uh, you know just a covering over some pieces of wood or something, you know, and everything in between, lots of uh, double-wide trailers and single-wide trailers and, uh, you know, all sorts of um, concoctions for shelters out there. Wow. Um, and, probably 35, 40 mile, square miles.
1: And, and if they don't have uh, the water connections from, from, the, uh, from, from, the, from the main line, if they can't connect it, well, then they've got to depend on, on outhouses and portable water, which then leads to questions about health, health in that area then, too.
2: I mean, there was a lot of that in the beginning of this colonia. I think that they've alleviated uh, a lot of that with by bringing utilities in. And uh, I, 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 I'm skeptical that there's a lot of code enforcement yes. that goes on out there. Uh, And and there are complaints that when it rains hard, it floods because this is very low land. Uh, A lot of people have septic tanks, but a lot of people haven't put their tanks in yet either. Wow. Uh, And so, you know, the floods then, of course, move the waste around, uh, sometimes into the bayou, which empties out into San Jacinto River. And there have been allegations of pollution and that sort of thing. I haven't really investigated a lot of that, but there's plenty of uh, local dissension uh, about some of this stuff.
1: Now, um, this uh, this colonia, there was recently a situation where uh, a Mexican national uh, did a mass shooting. Um, was this at the at the same uh, area, the same neighborhood colony?
2: There, yes, it was. There was a well. It was in this. It was in the vicinity, it was the next county over across the line in an an older, an older colonia, uh, that had been there for, it looks like it's more established, uh, but no less, uh, that, you know, illegal immigrants populate that area too across the county line. That was a Mexican national, uh, deported four different times, kept coming back, owned a house and property. There, uh, you know, ownered a, a buyer arrangement and uh, slaughtered a Honduran family next door. I uh, I want to say that was in uh, mid-April, and I just was there a couple of days ago to just see what was going on in the neighborhood, what it looked like, and, um, you know, both houses are, are uh, vacant. The alleged shooter's house uh, has a for rent sign out front for 1400 a month. And the um, house where all the victims uh, were found is just simply uh, empty with uh, the bullet holes still on the front door. Wow. Wow.
1: Now, uh, do you think, uh, after after the observation investigation that you've been doing, do you think that colonias like this, these unincorporated or these uh, neighborhood of uh of, of uh migrants do you think they're going to pop up in other com- in other places in other states for example
2: i do uh i believe that they will and uh, they'll probably get just as about the same press coverage as this one which, uh, which is, is almost nil <laughs> right, right? <laughs> um they probably are going up even as we speak uh or pre-existing ones are expanding rapidly uh, I, I would suspect that uh, an intrepid journalist uh, who moved around the country and knew what where to go and where to look would find these everywhere. Uh, I don't think this is – but this one almost
3: certainly has got to be one of the biggest ones uh, anywhere. Yeah. And,
2: yeah, I mean, it's just, you've you got to see the video to believe how just gigantic this thing is. And
1: where, where can they see uh, those videos? Tell the folks where they can get them. You can em. go to my yeah.
2: Twitter account. Right, right now, I've got them all on my Twitter account, part one, part two, part three. And there's a couple more. Um, and uh, Bensman Todd is where you can find that. That's where I've got them up right now. And. People have uh, viewed them many hundreds of to- hundreds of thousands of times.
1: Gotcha. And and what uh, I'll do is I'll uh, I'll post them as well and on on our Facebook on our uh, social media so people can can be sure to catch them. But this is very very alarming in my book. It really really is because uh, you've got people putting down roots, but really not following the. Um, uh, the codes you're not following, they're not following the, uh, property. I have no idea how they get, uh, mortgages, uh, you know, who's lending the money. Uh, all of well, these Well, I,
2: stressors- I, ex- I explain a lot of that in my book. Uh, and the final chapter of the book, uh, really is all about this particular colonia, uh, as emblematic of what, what mass migration looks like on the interior of the country. Yes. The people have to live somewhere. You have to put them somewhere. They have to go somewhere. Um, so uh, I think, I think, you know, Congress probably has an obligation since nobody else will uh, to call a hearing. They're, they're having hearings all the time now on border issues uh, that are about our external border. Uh, and along the border and the borderlands, but uh, this is every bit as much a border story, three three hundred miles uh, inland, as anything else. And it's time for Congress to take a look. I think uh, at the impacts on the interior of the country. That's right. And this is certainly a very stark example, uh, and and one that that begs many many questions to be asked and answered. And you got it.
1: I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been a busy day, I know, for you because uh, you're you're talking about this very, very important story, folks. Uh, we've been chatting with our good friend Mr. Todd Benzman from the Center for Immigration Studies about the this uh, Colonia, this neighborhood of illegal aliens that is uh, that is expanding almost a hundred. As far like a city. A city, a city—literally, incredible.
2: It's the, uh, the ultimate sanctuary city.
1: Yes, it is. Thank you very, very much, Todd, folks. You can watch uh, his Twitter, uh, his uh, this story on his Twitter account at Todd Bensman. Uh, thanks a lot, Todd.
2: Thank you. I appreciate being here
1: once again, George Rodriguez el Conservador, in San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Brandon Judd, who is president of the National Border Patrol Council. And uh, I wanted to get him on because this past week, uh, a new Border Patrol chief, national chief, Uh, was uh, named Mr. Jason Owens who comes out of the Del Rio sector right here in uh, South Texas Uh, I wanted to get um, Brandon to uh, tell us a little bit about um, uh, him the reaction by the council to his naming as well as a couple of other things but first of all thank you Brandon for taking time to be with us welcome to the show as usual
3: good to be with you thank you
1: um, all right so Brandon uh, can you tell us anything about uh, this this new uh, border patrol chief Jason Owens yeah Jason as long as he's allowed to do his job he's going to be a
3: very good chief uh, he can, he's very very much enforcement minded uh, he wants to ensure that the that the safety of the public is is maintained he wants to ensure that we have border security. Uh, but the question is going to be whether or not this uh, this administration actually allows him to do his job. Is he going to be allowed to implement the, the policies, programs, operations that are going to be uh, that, that are going to allow us to go after the cartels, um, that are going to take the handcuffs off the good guys, and allow us to actually uh, get the border under control? You know, that's the question. You, you, you can put anybody in there as the chief, um, but if if he if the chief is not allowed to do their job, then you know all, all you have is a figurehead.
1: Yeah, and he's coming out of a sector where um, uh, one of the major uh, issues that occurred was um, this—the accusation of the agents being uh, uh, whipping the Haitian uh, immigrants—and which we all know. I mean, I was there. uh, We all know that that was just uh, over the top uh, hype by uh, by the media and and, uh, the administration. Uh, is he? Do you think he's going to be a, a patrol agent's um, uh, friend?
3: Uh, he was, uh, if 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 I remember correctly, he wasn't the chief in Del Rio when that. T- Place. Um, he he was the, the chief of the Border Patrol Academy at the time that that took place, if, if I remember correctly. And I'm, uh-huh. almost, I'm almost positive that that's, that's the case. Um, there was a different chief patrol agent in Del Rio at that time um, during the Haitian migrant crisis. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it, it strictly comes down to is he going to be allowed to do his job? Uh, you know, we, we've seen time and time again that, uh, you know, I, I can go back. As long as I can remember in my career and you know, chief patrol agents, although they can't go on TV in uniform, they have to have permission from DHS to do that. Um, but they still have the right to speak out. Um, you know, they, they can't do it under the guise and, and we've never had a chief patrol agent that's been willing to do that. We haven't had a chief patrol agent that's been willing to uh, go out and, and tell the truth about what's going on on the border because they're, they're too worried about their careers. They, they want to ensure that their careers are going to, to progress. Um, I, I do believe that, that Jason is cut from a different cloth. Um, I, I do believe that he wants to do the right thing. Um, his wife ran for Congress against uh, Congressman Cuellar. A Republican, so I, th- I think that, that Jason absolutely wants to do the right thing, but uh, George, again, it strictly comes down to he has a boss, um, and that boss is going to make uh, certain decisions on what our operations are and and is that boss going to allow Jason to, to, to implement the proper operations That's right. uh, and, it, and, and again if he does if, if if Jason's boss allows him to implement the proper operations I believe that Jason is going to be a very good chief
1: Excellent, alright let me ask you now um, switching gears a little bit the um, title 42 has ended uh, we've heard from our sheriffs here locally um and uh we've heard uh also catholic charities uh has been trumpeting that it wasn't as bad and that they are uh, very proud of the way that things are happening um what is the perspective from the from the border patrols border patrol agents? Uh,
3: so it was not as bad as as what it could have been uh, let's let's um let's actually talk let's use proper semantics i mean i'm not saying that you're using the proper semantics but you know other other people will, will throw out it, it wasn't as bad um so we as as expected so what we say is what it could have been um what happened was was cbp implemented an app where people could go on and apply for asylum and go through the ports of entry rather than um crossing uh, acro- across the river but it still amounted to the exact same thing. Uh, what it comes down to is, is whether or not DHS is going to actually enforce the laws. Are these people just going to be led into the United States and are they going to um, never show up to their court dates? Are they going to abscond from justice um, after that? And if history um, is an indicator then that's exactly what's going to happen. So all of these people that are being led in under the CBP-1 App that otherwise would have crossed the border illegally, um, are they just going to become illegal down the road because they're not going to show up to their court dates? And again, we have to look at history, and history shows that that's exactly what going to what's going to happen because the vast majority of these people are not going to have a legitimate asylum claim. They know that, they understand that, but they also understand that they're going to be released in the United States. They they further understand that if they abscond if they don't show up to their court dates nothing's going to happen to them nobody's going to go after them they're they're not going to find these individuals so these people are going to be good to go they're never going to have to leave this country um, and they're going to get exactly what they wanted and and it's all about the rule of law are you going to actually enforce the rule of law or are you going to let people violate our laws with impunity with no repercussion
1: wow yeah uh, you know uh, we have seen how how many families all of a sudden have have started popping up all over the place again, uh-huh. uh, and coming across. And you know, uh, I, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, I feel very, very uh, skeptical that many of these are really, really families. But nevertheless, they're all claiming to be families, and uh, they're getting they're getting in pretty quick.
3: Yeah, they're being released into the United States, or they're ultimately getting exactly what they want, which is to be able to come to the United States. Do they have a legitimate legal claim to be in the United States? You know that remains to be seen. But, uh, again, you have to use history as a guide. And history has proven that the vast majority of these people do not have a, legal, uh, a legitimate legal claim. Again, nobody's against legal immigration. Everybody's against illegal immigration everybody's against what happens down the road do these people show up to their court dates and again history has shown time and time again that they will not they'll just end up um, becoming um illegal because they they won't have a status in the united states Um, but it won't matter because they're going to be allowed to stay correct
1: let me ask you one last question what um what is the morale at this point Uh, among the Border Patrol agents. Uh, How are they feeling? How are they hanging in there?
3: Uh, Again, when when I look over my career uh, and I I look at the the ups and downs, we've just never had anything that's as low as this. Uh, We've never had any point in in the history of the Border Patrol where we just have not been able to do our jobs. You, You look at law enforcement around the nation, um, the police officers, uh, the DPS officers, the sheriff's deputies, everybody wants to go out and they want to protect the American people and they want to be able to do their job. They want to be able to do it well. Uh, and, and it's all about the safety and security of the United States. And when you can't, when you can't do that, you, you're going to feel de- demoralized. And that's why we have such a high attrition rate. Um, we have, I believe, that we have the highest attrition rate in the entire federal government, and it all—it's all based upon people want to feel like they're accomplishing something in their careers, and right now, border patrol agents just don't feel
1: that way. Well, yeah, it, it is—it's you know, we can see it. We can see uh, uh, the in our interaction uh, with uh, agents whenever we're down by the border that um, you know they just they don't seem peppy. They don't seem. Uh, you know they're they're happy to see people that are supporting of them, but um, in many cases that you you can tell that that's something's going on something's going on yep well, yep well, thank you very very much as usual uh, Brandon. our prayers and and our uh, support definitely are with the um, with the agents and uh, hopefully they uh, will hang in there and our part. Our lives will be protected, because that's exactly what they do. So thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today.
3: It was good to be with you. Thank
1: you. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Chris Hayek, from uh, the Immigration Reform Law Institute in D.C. And I wanted to reach out to him because there is a trend, which many of us saw coming, but that uh, reality is now here, where uh, certain jurisdictions like the District of Columbia are allowing, uh, are voting or uh, allowing non-citizens, illegal aliens, non-citizens, to uh, vote, and um, at least in local elections. So uh, we wanted to get Chris on to talk to us. And uh, Chris, welcome to the show as usual. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Sure, George. Um, tell us about uh, this situation and what uh, Early is doing about it.
4: Well, D.C. passed a law letting all non-citizens vote. Uh, they, they used to restrict the vote like almost every other place has always done to uh, citizens uh, but they passed a law letting all non-citizens vote including diplomats, illegal aliens, any sort of uh, non-citizen and so Early is representing a group of D.C. voters who are, are citizens including the uh, Republican candidate for D.C. mayor in uh, uh, the last election um, Stacia Hall and uh, we, we're suing to overturn this law because it violates the uh, right to citizen self-government.
1: Now, uh, I, I, you know, my immediate thinking is, what's the point of being a citizen if non-citizens get the right to vote uh, as well? Not, not to mention to get benefits as well. Uh, what is their thinking? Right. What is their
4: argument? Uh, they, they want to. Um, help immigrants they define an immigrant as anybody who's a non-citizen whether they're an illegal alien or not they're all immigrants and uh they and they're all members of the dc community and so that they, they should be able to have a voice in uh the uh government of dc uh, but you're absolutely right about citizenship i mean the supreme court has said the same thing the supreme court has said that citizenship is more than just a ceremony it has meaning when you become a citizen you become part of the political community you become part of the uh people of the united states and and entitled to self-government and in the face of that it's, it's very hard to see how this law could be justified uh yeah, it's very I, hard to see how, how can it can be justified in the face of the the Declaration of Independence. I mean, we're not an independent country anymore. If we can't govern our country, it's going to be governed in part by non-citizens.
1: <laughs> so true. Uh, what about, I mean, uh, this seems to be a trend. Are There are other uh, jurisdictions, other communities that are doing the same thing, correct?
4: Yes. Uh, uh, we're filing briefs in a case in Vermont, and... New York City has allowed this, though that's, that was struck down by a trial court and now that's on appeal. It'll probably stay struck down. Uh, San Francisco is doing this for school board elections. Uh, there are a number of other jurisdictions where they, uh, have allowed this or, or at least they're considering, uh, Connecticut is considering, uh, amending its constitution to, to let non-citizens vote statewide in statewide elections. Wow. And, and there's no reason uh, in principle why the states wouldn't uh, vote to allow aliens to vote in federal elections and it, the, the only thing stopping them is a federal law uh, against that but I imagine that law would be challenged in court by the states unless there's a precedent saying you can't let aliens vote, it violates Citizens' rights; it dilutes their votes.
1: Yeah, and and, and you know, uh, again, uh, if Connecticut goes through with it, uh, would Connecticut then um, uh, claim that they can uh, vote in the federal elections as well? Allow them to to be counted in no, federal no. elections?
4: No, no, I believe it's just so far; it's just uh, state elections, but statewide elections for governor, state legislature.
1: Gosh, that's that's that that that's very very disturbing. The uh, with the amount of of, of uh, aliens crossing the border, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it
4: yeah that that's it their argument. It, it, yeah, it's like we 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 are letting all these people in. We're letting them stay forever, and so they become part of the community. So they should get the right to vote. It, it's just a, a uh, extra legal. Uh, Takeover?
1: Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, you know, you've gone from step one to step two to step three now, and uh, where's it going to yeah. end?
4: Right. Uh, and and it, it really makes you wonder where they wanted to end. It seems like that they, they, they wanted to end in uh, some kind of uh, dissolution of the United States. Yeah. I mean, we alone among all nations in the world, we supposedly cannot stop non-citizens from voting our
1: country. That's incredible. I mean, every other nation, uh, you have to go through loopholes to not only stay in that country, but also to, you know, become a citizen or to, uh, let alone to participate in in elections. Here, I mean, we just seem to be going the opposite way.
4: Yes, and uh, so... So these issues are very important, and it's, uh, it's important to figure out how the Constitution, as interpreted by the Supreme Court, uh, addresses them. The,
1: uh, it, it, it seems like one of the things that needs to be addressed is whether or not you know, uh, the Constitution covers uh, a person that's inside the country. Uh, because that seems to be uh, the ongoing battle, uh, or the ongoing argument that they always have is that they're here; uh, they've got to be covered.
4: Uh, right, right. Actually, the the um, you can be here in, in geographically in the United States, but not have entered the country. If you've ever gone through customs, you would uh, get, get the idea that yes, you know, in an airport, you're in the airport, you're in you know the interior of the United States. If it's like a you know, Houston Airport But if you haven't gone through customs You haven't entered Correct. And uh, so someone who comes here And is immediately apprehended Or surrenders to Border Patrol uh, They haven't entered the country Because they're not free Of uh, official restraint And uh, and so the Constitution doesn't apply it, it, It's just as though they're abroad Gotcha,
1: gotcha Well, I mean, you know That makes perfect sense Except for the fact that now, you know, uh, the other argument that we've heard here in San Antonio, and I, you know, worry about where we're going here uh, with our liberal uh, city council, is that because they take up uh, services, because they use services, non citizens use services like water, sewer, uh, police, et cetera, et cetera, that they have a right uh, for the decision making as well. Your thoughts on that
4: <laughs> well that 's the argument. I mean it depends on who 's a member of the political community there, there are plenty of people here, tourists and temporary visitors who uh, correct uh, <laughs> uh, consume services and and uh, you know don 't have the right to vote <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, no alien has a fundamental right to vote o- only citizens have a fundamental right to vote
1: yeah that that, that is so true. Uh, anything else that you want to add to it, to uh, this discussion, my friend? Any other topics coming down the, the, the road that uh, Early is going to be dealing with?
4: Well, we have another case that we're asking the Supreme Court to review, uh, where the uh, Department of Homeland Security gave work authorization to large groups of uh, tech workers, uh, basically doubling the size of the H-1B program, which was established by Congress, uh, and they did it without uh implementing the statute at all they they violated the statute and and there's another program where they gave accompanying spouses of certain uh h1 b aliens to uh to work as well and there's no there's no statute that says they can work there's no statute that says they can't work but but the problem is that they're just doing this on their own authority and, and that's not Constitutional. They have to be implementing a federal statute. And uh, so we're challenging that. You know, we're hoping that gets uh, reviewed. We, we've gotten seven amicus briefs saying the court should review it for, from various groups, including uh, Congress and uh, members of Congress led by Ted Cruz and uh, uh, 10 states led by Kansas. So, so we're hopeful that gets reviewed, and and this this idea of implementing the statute is so important. I mean, th- th- there's a uh, another case where uh, Texas is challenging Biden's public charge rule, where they, um, Congress said in as recently as 18 uh, as 1996 that people who are aliens who are a public charge that that is consume uh, public benefits. Uh, including non-cash benefits like food stamps are, uh, you know, should not be eligible for green cards. And uh, Biden is not really enforcing that. He's saying, "Well, it's only people who consume cash benefits that we consider a public charge." Yeah. And, and you know, so so he's failing to implement the statute. He's just disregarding it by just implementing a little part of it. Damn. And uh, it, it um. I mean, there's a big problem with the this administration uh ignoring Congress. And right now there's also a problem with Congress, uh maybe not in past laws, but in, in the uh you know the D C voting law had to be, you know, in order to become law, couldn't be disapproved by Congress. But uh Congress didn't disapprove it. The House did, but the Senate Senate didn't.
1: Mm. I it, it you know, uh, again uh, as we've seen with daca they uh or at least my opinion of daca is that again it was put in uh without uh without authorization from congress it was just done by yes. the president however again it seems like um uh this president uh acting like obama they are pushing whatever they want that's the end of it
4: right he's just duplicated it and uh and it, it, it's going to be struck down but but it's uh Uh, And he's giving work authorization to all the DACA people as part of the program. Yeah, there's no provision that says uh, uh, DHS can do that.
1: (laughs) Gosh, incredible, my friend! Thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. We've been speaking with our good friend Mr. Chris Hayek from the uh, Immigration Reform Law Institute in D.C. Chris, thank you very much, and keep fighting for us, buddy. Thank you, George. Once again, George Rodriguez in San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy! Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mister John Biner, who is an, a writer for Breitbart. He has written another great article um, regarding uh, the uh, uh, Mallorcas getting involved in uh, a uh, with a uh, illegal alien who had committed a crime. Um, John, welcome to the show Thank you for taking time to be with us Talk to us, tell us about your latest article
5: Sure So this is, you know, the horrific Story about um, Drew Rosenberg A 25 year old um, I think two year law student uh, Living in San Francisco At the time And he was tragically killed By an illegal alien This is over a decade ago now Um and was killed by an illegal alien. Uh, the mayor of San Francisco at the time was Gavin Newsom. Uh, I think the district attorney was Kamala Harris. The police chief was George Gascon. And Alejandro Mayorkas, the current DHS secretary, was actually running um, USCIS, which is you know the U.S. Citizens and Immigration Services Agency, which falls under DHS um, for the Obama administration at the time. So it's it's. Interesting. It's all the same characters that are still around to this day that were involved in Drew Rosenberg's case. Um, and Don Rosenberg, um, Drew's father, uh, actually went and uh, tried to basically get a meeting with Alejandro Mayorkas. At the time, um, he was able to get a meeting with his congressman at the time, who you know he says wasn't. Super enthusiastic about helping him in any way, um, as you know, as you can imagine, his congressman was a Democrat, and um, he was able to send a letter to Mayorkas at the time when he was running USCIS, and the response that they got was that they were not going, to, they were not going to try to deport the illegal alien that had killed Drew Rosenberg because um, it wasn't. Deemed, you know, a punishable deportable offense because he had run Drew over uh, with his car. Drew was riding him on a motorcycle, and he had he had run him over, um, and that's what really killed him. And even then, um, under you know, Mayorkas policy at USCIS, this was being considered something that was not serious enough for DHS to deport an illegal alien for, and of, of course this speaks volumes today because of Mayorkas's leadership at DHS and what the Biden administration has done, which is a complete expansion of that policy that was being carried out, that was back in 2012, um, and that is being carried out agency-wide today.
1: Now, let's make sure that the people understand. There was an illegal alien who was, well, obviously, with the with the term, was obviously in the country illegally. He uh, ran Drew uh, Rosenberg over and from uh, the description by Don, his dad, uh, I believe he ran over him twice
3: mm-hmm. uh, in his
1: effort to get away, to escape. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Uh, clearly, he committed a crime, uh, and that was not punishable by deportation or in any form of, in any other way. I, I'm 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 flabbergasted.
3: Yes, it is, and
5: it is absolutely baffling. And that is that was the policy under Mayorkas at USCIS then, and like I mentioned, I mean that is the policy today, agency-wide at DHS, um, it is incredibly difficult with the growing number of sanctuary jurisdictions for ICE agents to even go out and get um, clearance from their department heads to arrest convicted criminal illegal aliens. And I mean, these are folks that have committed, like this illegal alien in the Rosenberg case, um, committed, which is, you know, manslaughter, murder, rape. Um, there was a recent case out of New York where, you know, the state agency just simply released an illegal alien that was charged with rape, didn't even bother to call ICE um, to have that illegal alien deported. So, I mean, this is going on to this day and it's been expanded. Um, I mean, now the ICE agents have to go and get, you know, approval all the way up the food chain before they're even allowed to go and arrest a convicted criminal illegal alien who is, of course, should be first on the deportation list.
1: Now, this uh, really, really is disturbing when you put it uh, in, uh, in light of the Defund the police movement as well as the number of uh, liberal uh, soft on crime DAs that we have across the country. Uh, I mean, if we're going to have a soft on crime uh, immigration law enforcement uh, to complement, and I'll use that word, complement the soft on crime. uh, local government. I mean, it. I, I. You know, how safe is the American public?
5: Exactly. It's it's a recipe for total disaster because, um, you know, unlike when you know the Trump administration was um trying desperately to get sanctuary jurisdictions to help them enforce federal immigration law by merely turning people over to their custody. I mean, there's a misconception that is, I mean, it's, it's to deceive the public from the left um, where it seems as though ice, evil ICE agents are asking police departments to go around their communities and arrest people that they assume to be illegal aliens in the United States. And this is just simply not the case. Um, all ICE has ever asked is for localities, when they arrest an illegal alien and they are charged with a crime and they hold them in their local county or local jail, um, call ICE, tell them that this person is in their custody so that they can be very easily turned over to ICE agents for you know arrest and then hopefully deportation um because why would we be purposefully adding on top of our already growing crime problems
1: yes and uh you know do you know what uh, what they do with the um with the uh criminals that they do catch at the border i mean in some cases they are catching criminals returning uh to the returning to the us uh it, it, what is mayorcas's policy on those characters
5: well, sure. So, I mean, there was a figure that was thrown out um, by Tom McClintock, who is chairman of the Subcommittee on Immigration, um, in the House Judiciary Committee. And he talked about how they've, the Biden administration, we're at more than 2 million illegal aliens that have been directly released by DHS into the United States. So that does not include known gotaways, which is probably one and a half million, and also unknown gotaways, um, which let's say that's another million and a half. Um, That is multi-million illegal alien population that has been added to the United States by the Biden administration. How are they releasing people directly into the country? They're doing it through a series of programs, either through parole um, they're now doing it through the CBP One app, where people are literally scheduling appointments at the U.S. Mexico border to get released into the country. They're also doing it through notices to appear (NTAs), where people are briefly appreh- apprehended, they're put into you know asylum or deportation proceedings, and they're given a notice to appear before an immigration ju- judge in the country, and then they're released and. Among these two million, more than two million illegal aliens that have been released under the Biden administration, there have been convicted criminals. Um, You know, the DHS does not have access to, you know, criminal databases across the world. I mean, we're getting we're getting illegal aliens now from all over the world. This is not like the 1990s where you know, 80 to 90 percent of the illegal population is arriving from Mexico. So you're talking about we have to go and try to have, you know, look through criminal databases in all of these other countries. Um, And DHS does not have access to that. So, I mean, in most recent case, there was a guy that was released on an NTA back in March of this year um, who was convicted of murder in his native country, and he was still released into the country because DHS was unaware of that. Another guy was released into the U.S., um, I think last year, and he was wanted for murder in his home country. And we only recently, you know, ICE was only recently able to find him living in Pennsylvania and arrest him to deport him for his murder charge back in his native country. So, I mean, this is happening on a routinely basis where convicted and wanted criminals are getting through to the U.S. interior because we simply do not have the resources to possibly be able to vet everyone
1: at this scale that is just being released into the country. It is outrageous. It is outrageous and dangerous for all of us. I mean, it just is very, very dangerous. Anything else you'd like to add before we let you go, my man? This is this is great information, and I, you know, I, I, I recommend to everybody to look up uh, your article. Tell them where they can follow you and where they can read more of your articles.
5: Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Breitbart.com uh, under John Bender. That's my byline. I'm on Twitter as John Bender as well, which is linked in all of my pieces and my email as well in case, you know, people have tips about different things or comments about different things. Um, It should be noted that the Biden administration is carrying out a very, very effective immigration policy. It is not chaos at the border that you would constantly hear from, um, unfortunately, too many Republican lawmakers. It is it is not chaos. It is actually being carried out exactly as they intended it to, which is getting as many people to the United States as possible.
1: Getting them into the United States and releasing them. Yep. Unfortunately, that's the reality. John, thank you very, very much for joining us today. And uh, we'll be uh, following you and get you back on the show again.
5: Thanks so much, George.
1: Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Folks, thank you very, very much for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed the show. I hope that you will join us again next week. Tell your friends all about us. You can find our program uh, at the KLUP website as well as uh, on my social media. Anywhere that you uh, can tune into El Conservador, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, etc., etc., you will find the program. So once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Till next time.